emotions to flow, like feel the anger, feel the pain, feel the hurt, but then take that energy and start to harness it towards something new and something positive. Like I learned to not stay and wallow because it doesn't serve anything. It certainly doesn't serve yourself and it certainly doesn't serve your next foot forward. It's easy to talk about the successes, but what doesn't get talked about enough is the struggle. My name is Eric Weinmayer. I've gotten the chance to ascend Mount Everest, to climb the tallest mountain in every continent, to kayak the Grand Canyon, and I happen to be blind. It's been a struggle to live what I call a no barriers life, to define it, to push the parameters of what it means. And part of the equation is diving into the learning process and trying to illuminate the universal elements that exist along the way. And that unexplored terrain between those dark places we find ourselves in and the summit exists a map. That map, that way forward, is what we call no barriers. Today we speak with Heather Thompson who is an adored reality star from the hit Bravo reality television series, The Real Housewives of New York City. She's an integrative nutrition health coach and recently launched Beyond Fresh Organic Nutrition Brand and Heather Thompson's Superfood Shows, developed to educate and support people making positive and sustainable changes impactful to their health and well-being. The real Heather, though, wears many hats as a married mother of two, successful entrepreneur, celebrated designer and inventor, philanthropist, speaker, avid adventurer, and her latest undertaking as host of her new podcast, In My Heart, with new episodes every Tuesday. Enjoy the conversation. So you're an integrative health coach. That is super cool. You went back to school to get that degree, right? And now yeah. you're that's part of your new business uh, all around nutrition, right? It is. It is. It started as really a passion project, you know, with my son, Jax, for, you know, many people who know me through the No Barriers community. My my little guy has a lot of challenges. He's now 16 and robust. But um, I started really learning about food as medicine because of Jax. I wanted to stack the odds in his favor because the immunosuppression medicines that he was taking to keep his body from rejecting his new organ. He had a liver transplant at six months old. Those medicines were keeping the liver healthy, but it was destroying a lot of other organs and and issues in his body, those medicines. So I wanted to use, make sure that I was stacking the odds in his favor as much as I can. And that was through nutrition. So I was like an avid reader of every diet theory, every diet book or nutrition book that came out, I read it. And I just decided one day I woke up and I was like, I want to be educated in this. I don't want to hear people's opinions and theories because the guy who believes in juicing or, you know, the girl who believes in eating for your blood type, they really believe in it. And I believe that there's some good to take away from all of those theories, but I really wanted the education, the underbelly. And so I never did it thinking I was going to do anything more with it than just, you know, further educate myself and then apply that to my family and I. But when I graduated from school, I was really angry about the propaganda. I realized people were out there trying to do the right thing and they were being led astray through big food and big pharma and marketing and that sort of thing. And we just have to keep the the messaging simple and keep food simple again. 
And I also realized that organic food, which is good for us, good for Big Blue, uh, was impossible for most people to even attain or afford. If they could find an organic uh, option, it was very expensive. So I used my education and my entrepreneur, you know, kind of like underbelly and I put it together and I started a business and it's called Beyond Fresh and it's an organic food supplement brand. And I got it because I went back to school to become an integrative health coach to learn about food, not only as fuel, as medicine and a social, beautiful social attribute to our life and then learning to work with it within those boundaries. So we'll talk about Jack's like a little bit later, but like, so you know, the short of it is that your son was born with a rare liver disease, right? So are you saying like certain kinds of foods are going to be better to keep that liver healthy and certain foods could actually poison that liver, you know what I mean? And make it, you know, less sustainable. Sure. I mean, it's really whole body wellness that I'm looking at for him and our health disease starts and ends in the gut. People don't understand how important our stomachs are, our guts are. They're the second brain to the body. And our immune system lives in our gut. Our metabolism lives in our gut. Our nutrient absorption lives in our gut. And when that gut is out of check, out of whack, out of balance, which is oftentimes because of the diet we're eating, you know, refined sugar, you know, a lot of high carbohydrate, like white flour, you know, these types of things, um, they're clogging up our system, but also the new modern lifestyle. Uh, we don't eat fermented foods. We're not pickling and jarring our food anymore. And so the the modern life has caused some some upset to the system because our diets have changed so much. And so probiotics, you can get them from apple cider vinegar. You can get them from you know fermented food, pickles, you know, sauerkraut, things like that. But we just don't sit there and eat bowls of sauerkraut anymore. <laughs> so getting your gut health in check is really important. And that's really where it began for me. And that really is the center focus of everything that I do. Because if I can keep his gut healthy and his microbiome you know, healthy and his flora flourishing, then he's going to be able to fight disease and illness and inflammation in his body on his own. Yeah. If I crowd his stomach full of foods that cause inflammation and cause that clogging, then I'm not doing him any services. I feel like I'm an expert in this area because I had some pumpkin pie that was left over from Thanksgiving and I ate the last piece last night. So I feel like I'm really helping the floor. Is that like That's some pumpkin protein? That's good. Plants have protein. <laughs> no, no, no. It was the bacteria because it had sat in my refrigerator for like two months. <laughs> no, I was thinking so. Project. It's kind of like uh, pumpkin pie combined with kombucha. Yeah. Mm, yeah, that sounds delicious, Eric. Yeah, thanks. That's why you look so good this morning. That's why your complexion is so bright, I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> But isn't like a huge challenge for most like Americans, let's stick with, like you go into a supermarket, it's like rigged against you because everything's got sugar, just loaded with way more sugar than you need. And so you got to be super proactive. Most people just go in and are just trying to get the job done, right? And, 100%. Now, right. And it's like, so it takes a lot of effort to be healthy. And, and some people like it's harder than others, right? Because you don't have a lot of time or maybe your supermarket just is full of crap. Yes. Well, convenience is killing us. 
And so that's for sure. So the preservatives and the fillers that they're putting in this mainstream food that is being made available and convenient to us as busy Americans is killing us. And you're right, it's not easy. But if you just remember some of the basics um, and a few small steps, then you're gonna start to stack the odds in your favor. Simply reading labels, remembering that big food is out there because to, to, to keep you coming back. Remember those adages like once you pop, you can't stop or no one can eat just one, that's real because they are designed in a science lab to stop your triggers that tell you you're full or they keep your serotonin levels high. You're like, oh my God, that makes me feel so wonderful. But so they're designed to keep you coming back because the bottom line, you guys, is, is that being healthy doesn't pay. Being unhealthy pays. Think about that in terms of healthcare and government. So if you're healthy, the insurance companies aren't benefiting, the hospitals aren't benefiting. So you have to remember, unfortunately, it's a cold world out there. Nobody really cares about you. You have to care about you. And you have to stack the odds in your favor. And so there's little tips out there like shop the perimeter of the grocery store. Stay out of the middle of the aisles unless you're just going to get a, you know, just some condiments or dry storage you need. But so look for those types of things so that you can start to make better choices. And then you're going to beat the system, Eric, and you're going to be your own advocate. And you're going to say, no, 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 you're not going to get me because I'm going to stay healthy. And that will feed my family and my purpose in life. I hope this really, what you're saying, registers with our community because, you know, we have a lot of people who struggle, you know, have been through trauma and have had all kinds of challenges. And, you know, maybe it, they're, they're more psychological or invisible challenges, but, but the, our health, you know, our physical health probably is a huge influencer in terms of how we approach life and, uh, and how, uh, you know, our, our positive outlook in the world, right? Yes, your food, your your stomach affects your mood. What you're eating and what you're putting in your system 100% affects how we feel and how we act and how we show up. Heather, I'd love to talk to you about being a mom and an entrepreneur. Also being a mom of someone who had, a, you know, a child jacks who had a, you know, very serious, you know, transplant and continue you have to continue to, you know, worry about that and monitor it. But for, for our listeners, like when I kind of look at what you've done with your life, you started Yummy, you were on Real Housewives of New York, you're starting a whole new business that isn't about fashion. How do you do it? How do you manage that balance? I think you kind of give our listeners some advice of how you still find time to tap into your own passions when you've got two kids that you're raising and starting yeah. new businesses and a new podcast too. Yes. I love my podcast. It's so fulfilling doing it. Um, I tr you know what? The, the honest truth is there's been a few journeys and paths that I've taken with that, Dave. And right now I would tell you the one that's most beneficial for me is to go easy on myself. You know, not expect all of these, you know, grandiose things for myself and just being easy with myself. And really, I show up for the moment and the day that I have before me. And I try not to get overwhelmed thinking about the future. If my, my belly, my gut tells me something that I have to do, I listen to it. I have to do it. And, and when you, when you're really passionate about something, you do it, you go for it. It's just like, it's almost like you're, you know, wind up doll and they send you on your way and you can't turn and you can't stop and you can't go the other way. 
so I've been I've been kinder to myself, and I allow myself to, really some time to listen truly to the answers that come to me. Like, do I really want to do this project? How important is it for me? And try and and if it, the answer is a resounding yes, then stop at nothing to get it. Because I always say it's only work if there's someplace else you'd rather be. You know, if we if we go after the things that we love, the passions, the things that fuel us, and we try to find a career path in that, you know what I mean, a way to build businesses, build communities, you know, make money, then you're going to always be good at it, you know, because when you love something, it's it's never too much information. It's never too much time to study, or if you can't sleep at two o'clock and you get up and you open your book and you're excited to read it at that time, then go for it. So... I have erased some of the society barriers, you know, that get in my way, like the super ego, like you should be doing this and this is what you're supposed to do. And this is, and I, I just throw all that away because I think that those are these fake barriers that are put up there where the expectation is of the world of us or a, of family or what people believe we should be doing. And you should really listen to your own heart and your own voice in your head. And then just focus on the task at hand one day at a time. And, and it doesn't matter. I mean, the path, it doesn't matter really, as long as you have passion there. I mean, like I have a friend who runs a big paper towel and toilet paper <laughs> company. Well, we need them. He's like, I want to make the best damn p- toilet paper that is humanly possible to make. And that's great. Well, and he loves that. And so and I appreciate him three times a day. Yeah, well, that's good. That's more than most, Eric. Um, I think that it's very true. I think that if you do something that feeds your soul in some way, and I don't care what, I don't like, you know, whatever career, you don't have to make these grandiose dreams. If you, you know, if you love socializing and you, you know, love an atmosphere and you want to be a bartender, then like be like the guy on like cocktail and be a great bartender and have people want to come to your bar and see you at your bar and be the best at it. You know, it doesn't matter what path you choose. Just choose one that your body says to you, yes, 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 and not no, no, no. And and so, Heather, you started out as a fashion designer. Um, you worked with, like, Beyonce and Jennifer Lopez and uh, Sean Diddy Combs and, like, pretty incredible. So I want to learn all about that, like, how that got started. But then you started this huge, amazing, successful fashion company, Yummy!, and, um, and, and I know in the last, what, three, four years ago, you s- sold it. Yes. Uh, and so anyway, point being, you've had huge ups and, and some downs some struggles. So the advice that you're giving, you've had to live yeah. fully. What was that struggle like of having to let go of that? Yeah. So, okay. So I started in fashion, you know, a hundred years ago, I feel like now, but over 25 years ago, I graduated from college, not really quite sure what I wanted to do, to be honest. So not everybody has this, like goes to college like, Oh, I know what I want to do. I graduated still quite confused as to, you know, who I wanted to be and how I wanted to show up. And my mom gave me great advice and I have stuck to that advice. And I share that advice. And she said, Go toward what you love. Like, who cares right this very second? You're an avid skier. You are a racing coach and a ski instructor, and you love to ski. Why don't you go get a job at the local ski shop and just give yourself a second to sit and settle? And I was like, okay, great. That's my that's my tribe, man. I'm going to go with my people. So I went to the ski shop, Eric, and what I found there was – as I aged, I wasn't that impressed or, you know, interested necessarily in like all the new technology and the best new ski I could get. But I was like starting to get really interested in the gear. 
I was like, well, I'm gonna look hot with this on, and I'm gonna be, and this should, the zipper should be different, or this should change. And I started realizing, like, I wanted to create my own ski clothes. So I decided while I was at that ski shop in that six months that I was gonna actually go back to college because I wanted to design ski gear. That's what I decided I wanted to do. And I never actually went back to college for design. What my mother wise again said to me was, well, why don't you see if you can find a job in fashion a little bit first before you go back to school again, you just graduated. And maybe there's some things that you can apply that you already learned. And that's what I did. I got the I got a job as the assistant to the president of a fashion business. And the rest is literally history. I learned on the cutting room floors and factories, um, you know, all about engineering, fashion design. And I had a little bit of a, a you know, God-given talent that I could draw. And so I was never nine heads trained. That's a certain illustration style that you learn in, in design school. But I learned it myself. And I went up against people that were trained in fashion education, but I got the job. And so I was able to serve that because I think I was so passionate about it and because I had done the work hands-on. So fast forward to, yes, I had a successful career in fashion and I worked for some of you know, Hollywood's biggest, baddest talents, if you will. They're all like triple threats. They do more than just one thing. Puffy really taught me what I was made of. He pushed me harder than anyone ever in my life. And he showed me that I'm unbreakable, really. And that I really am made of a lot. And I have a lot to give. And I have I can dig deep. And he taught me that. Um, Jennifer Lopez really taught me to stay focused on the task at hand. That's just something I still carry through life with me. Um, you know, she was really the first triple threat. So she was like the, you know, dancer, singer, actress, you know, and then fashion, you know, icon and all that kind of stuff. So we really focused on, we built a lot of things together, but we would really focus on the task at hand. And I noticed that's how she was able to balance things. Beyonce, I taught, I, I really taught me true humility. So she was like the, she's the true star. I mean, she was the biggest star, but she would always walk into a photo shoot. God forbid she was like 15 minutes late. She would shake everybody's hand. I'm so sorry I'm late. Your time is important to me and valuable to me. She was so humble. And I watched her shine in that, you know, in that beauty. And so I learned a lot of lessons working for hugely talented, hugely intelligent and successful people. And let me tell you, the one word that I'll leave you with, with those three is work. They are hard workers. They never stop. They work really hard. And I was raised with a great work ethic. And then I was enforced with it because together we had great successes. I went on to build Yummy. I was with Beyonce and Tina when I had both my kids as the co-creative director. And I loved my job and I loved them. Um, but after I had my kids and Jax was ill and he had, you know, a plethora of health issues, it was a lung disease. He had hearing loss. He had this liver transplant. You know, he just had a, you know, a plethora of issues that we were dealing with. And we became so close during that time, as you can imagine. But what I also noticed was I didn't, I, a lot of people were felt like they would look at me with the puppy dog eyes when I would walk in because Jax was sick. And I get that because people feel terribly and they don't know how to deal with trauma or what to say to people. But I thought if I could show up back like myself, I could lose some of the baby weight and I could kind of show up and feel myself, then maybe they wouldn't feel sorry for me. They would, they would see that I was okay. And so I went to the shapewear department to put on some shapewear to get my waistline back so that people be like, oh, she's looking good. Everything must be great. 
And I really found as a fashion designer that it was antiquated and frozen in time and not anything I wanted to wear and or really could wear for any long periods of time. So as um, necessity being the mother of all invention, I put pen to paper and I invented this three panel tank top that I got 12 patents on because it had, you know, it was the fashion industry. It's hard to get patents in the fashion industry, but it was really such a unique idea. And it was an aha moment for me. Um, and so I entered it into a trade show. Beyonce and Tina had them. They were wearing them. We never thought that I was going to have to leave them for this. But what happened was it blew up and everyone was like, oh, my God, I have to have that. And it became a bigger business than just an item business. And let me let me just interrupt. So because as a blind guy, like I'm really left out of fashion. Like, I don't get it. Like, you can look what I'm wearing today. This is not that fashionable. <laughs> so so what is so, so yummy was really more about like understanding women's real body types and really building clothing f for real people. Yeah. Like instead of for like skinny little models and stuff or what? Yeah, or false advertising where someone would want to like, you know, pour themselves into some tiny little thing that, you know, that they were uncomfortable. And I don't think very healthy for your innards quite. <laughs> right. So I said, why do we have to be embarrassed? But why does it have to be this ugly garment that women are taking off in like bars and leaving in the trash can before they, you know, head home? You know what I mean? If they got lucky that night or something like, <laughs> like why do we have to, it was, for me, it was like, it was like a, a mark against women, you know, that we all had to be this like perfect little thing. And my feeling was like, rock what you got. You know what I mean? I want you to rock what you got, but just like women will put on, um, you know, a little foundation to even out their skin tone. Like we can do that in dresses. Women's wear and men's wear is very different. You know what I mean? In most cases, like we wear clingy tight things and, you know, like even if your underwear there, you can see like a line. So Yummy, when I developed, it was really more like a smoother. It was like, you know, your fat rolls relative. If it's yours, it's yours. Whether it's little or big and you don't like it and you want it gone in your dress, we got you covered. If you want to lose 10, 15 pounds, my garment is gonna isn't gonna do that for you, but I will help you so it'll help support you on the journey, you know, yeah. toward weight loss. It's not a it's not an answer to, you know what I mean health, but it was an answer to confidence. And and I wanted women to feel confident and supported with their choices and not like it was a dirty little secret. And that's what set Yummy apart from the rest of them. And I built a multi-million dollar business with it. So it was bittersweet leaving Beyonce and Tina, but I still maintain a, a wonderful relationship with them. They're proud to see you know what my successes were. But not everything, you know, has a pot of gold with a rainbow at the end. And I had a partner in Yummy uh, that I learned a lot of lessons working with. And it was, he was my partner, even though I was a 51% majority owner in the business. Um, I didn't sign a great contract. And there were some loopholes and booby traps in that contract that put me at a disadvantage and put me in a position that I wasn't happy anymore. Like I couldn't go to work and feel good about all of the goodness that I was trying to spread when in my own office there was turmoil and ugliness. And I said, you know, I'm not doing a service to my family and myself. I'm sick. This is making me sick. And so I made the decision to step down from my business. And ultimately I then sold the company to him. And it was the hardest thing, Eric. I mean, you remember it. You went yeah. through a, a wonderful support to me through that. 
because I think it was one of the hardest things I ever went through in my life. And, you, you know, someone might say, wait, you said your kid had a liver transplant. How could that be? And I'll tell you why. Because it, it is all about the rope team. When Jax was ill, I had doctors surrounding me saying, we got this. We got this. Mm-hmm. And when I was in a lawsuit, everyone's like, well, no, no, no. You know, it's like whoever has the better lawyer, really, more money. You know, it's right. like, what? What happened? Like right and wrong doesn't matter. Right. And that was a big like blow to my, you know, everything. It shattered me, quite frankly. And after I after I sold the business, because it was like my baby, and I never thought when I started it that I would ever sell it or leave it. I was gonna build it. But what I did learn is some entrepreneurial lessons. Like I want to get in businesses and make a difference and I don't have to necessarily stay. You know, I've got a lot of ideas and I have a lot of passions and quite frankly, everything happens for a reason. And I was not meant to stay at Yummy. It was just supposed to be a part of my life. Yeah, but that must be earth shattering in the present though. Because I mean, and it's good. It's really interesting to hear your story. But I mean, like, I just don't feel there's that much difference between like, the, the vet who comes home after being blown up in Iraq and it, their, their whole life has changed or a guy going blind who's gone blind, right? Like, or, or, or somebody who's experienced some kind of major trauma in their life and they just can't get past it. They get stuck, right? They get stuck and maybe they get stuck forever. Yes. And somehow you worked your way through it. Still working my way through it. It wasn't fair you know, had it been a different story, you know, then it might have been a different story. But this is the story that it is. And so what I learned, and quite frankly, from you, my friend, is that you have to allow yourself to be, to pity, be mad, you know, say, allow the emotions to flow, like feel the anger, feel the pain, feel the hurt, feel it. But then take that energy and start to harness it towards something new and something positive. Like I learned to not stay and wallow because, you know, for too long because it doesn't serve anything. It doesn't serve anybody. It certainly doesn't serve yourself. And it certainly doesn't fo- serve your next foot forward, your next movement forward. You know, I, I love I love my mountain climbing experiences. And I know that you do too. And we can refer them back to life in such easy ways. But life is about suffering. And if people don't understand that, they should start to understand it right now, here and there. But the suffering is part of the process. You have to go through it. Think about climbing a mountain. There are days, and we do that because we get on the plane and go. Nobody tells us we have to. But man, think about some of the darkest, coldest days on the side of a mountain, suffering, suffering, putting your head down and just one step at a time and you're suffering, your stomach hurts and you've got a parasite and things really suck. And then you summit and you look at all that hard work and you see what you did. And then that journey was worth every bit of it. Why can't we apply that truly to life and allow the suffering and understand that it's a part of the story and it's a part of the process. When I started looking at my experience with Yummy that way, I felt like I, I could overcome it. I could move on from it. I'm still living the life I wanted to live. I'm in, inventing and designing things that are going to help people feel better about themselves and live a life that hopefully is healthier and happier. So that's a good thing. We're neglecting the fact that you are a TV star. Three years on Real Housewives in New York. I don't think they really want like no barriers attitudes and mindsets and breakthroughs. They love drama. So what was your most dramatic 
what was the most drama you had there? Oh God, there's so about the drama. There was a lot. So <laughs> every minute was drama. It's it, when I look back at it. So I mean, what a what a crazy thing the Housewives is. <laughs> But it was a great platform for all the good, positive stuff and work you do in the world. Uh -huh. Well, that's why I did it, right? I went into the show without any expectation other than I didn't study the women. I didn't you know, try to be something that they wanted me to be. I went in there to forge new relationships, meet new people, you know, have dialogue and just kind of see where it all came out. And that served me because I was true to myself. And so I don't, they don't cast people on the show to change who they are. They don't do that. They're not going to make you necessarily into somebody that you're not, but there may be an edit where, you know, you kind of, we, I used to call it the ugly edit stick. Like you got hit with the ugly edit stick that, that show, because at the end of the day, the show is for entertainment value. You know, we're there to entertain. And so, yes, it's a reality show. It's not scripted, but it is edited. But what I also learned after doing the show, I did it for three seasons. And for me, there was a beginning, a middle and an end for it. I didn't sign up to the show to be a, you know, a lifetime reality star. That wasn't my purpose of doing it. And I had a big company and job and business to go back to, which I was also running while I was on the show and going back to nutrition school. I had a lot on my plate. So when it was time to leave, it was obvious that it was time for me to go. And then I maintained really good relationships with the network. And every season they would ask me back for a cameo. And that was really fun because I got to dip my toe in the water and have fun on the show, but I didn't really get sucked into the drama. And so that, that made it nice. This season with COVID, it was a different season. They had a small cast. They had let go of one of the major players on the show and they really felt like they were missing a six cast member. And so they came back to me and um, I said, well, geez, I don't, uh, being on the housewives full time again, I just, I couldn't do it. It's, it's a lot of work. It's a full time job, so to speak, but maybe there's a hybrid, you know, where I could kind of come back and, you know, something like that. And I tried it out this season and it was not the right thing for me. And I am glad that I tried it, even though I had a horrendous time on the show. And because it's not just about the editing, it's about the other people on the show with you. And so what happened was my mind was so set with where I had been that I didn't, when they asked me to, you know, jump in again, I didn't look at, I didn't watch the show. I didn't know anything about the new women on the show. And again, I thought that that would serve me not doing my homework, going in to try to forge new relationships and understand new people. But, you know, there's preconceived notions and the new girls on the show being that the Housewives has been on for so long, they watch the show two, three, four times. They've seen episodes, they study the cast members and right. some of the rules changed. And so when I went back in there and the drama like kicked up right away, I just was like, this is not how I want to spend my time. It's really a simple answer. I have much more important things to do for me that will feed my soul and coming home whipped and beat up just for the entertainment value of America, millions of Americans, like wasn't the role that I wanted to play anymore. I totally relate to that. I mean, not to totally bring myself into this, but I, you know, you make these decisions sometimes along the way and you're like, this is good for me. I have to do this. I don't feel super comfortable doing it, but it's great for my career. Let's say, you know, like I had this sponsor there. It was an allergy medication company. And I had to go on national TV and be like, blindness is not my greatest challenge. My greatest challenge is my seasonal allergies. And I'm like, oh, I would like 
it'd be like a punch in the stomach every time I said it, but you know what I mean? They, it, it financed some of my clients. So like, yeah, I'm just saying these compromises and things are tricky for people. Yeah. And they're tricky. Well, I, I always say this, everything's okay until it's not right. And so sometimes we make trade-offs or we, we try things that don't fit. The shoe doesn't fit. And so we don't, we don't wear it, but everything's okay until it's not. I was able to get out what I felt was important and move on from it. And, you know, I didn't come out with any bumps and bruises. I was actually assaulted on the show, crazy enough. This woman threw shit at me, but it was like ridiculous. And, you know, the thing for me is, is like, yeah, I'm tough and I can take it. And it it was, it wasn't, that wasn't the issue necessarily for me, although assault is real. Um, but, but what was really the issue is that it was watering down bigger issues Mm -hmm. and, you know, it was watering down name calling and, and our words. And, you know, we have a tarnished history of white nationalism and terrorism in this country. And we can't just use those words flippantly. And, you know, we have to be careful of them. Anybody who suffers from mental illness, I'm sure they would like to watch the rhetoric change around. Oh, you're so crazy. You're nuts. You know, like we have to now more than ever, let's just chew on our words a little bit before we spit them out and think about what it feels like to be the other guy, you know, on the other, uh, on the other end of that. So I was not going to be able to continue that conversation on the show. I had that moment to do it. I got my my jaw, you know, uppercut and I went home and I could feel good about what I did. Well, Heather, I'd love to finish our conversation by another passion project of yours that started this year. Tell us about In My Heart and your podcast. Oh my God, I love my podcast. I'm so excited about it. We really overcame barriers this year launching it. It's been in the works for a couple years and it's really about the people that I've met along the way, old friends and new that have dynamic stories, have had dynamic achievements in their lives, have overcome you know, great difficulties or great achievements at odds, and they share their stories. Or it could be something that's you know, storytelling and inspiring. And that's in my heart and I love doing it. So thanks for asking. Of course, and, and our listeners, uh, if you're interested, you can find In My Heart anywhere where you listen to podcasts. We'll put it in our show notes as well, a link to the uh, the podcast. Just one last question from me. Um, so as a mom, let's focus on that for just a few minutes as we wrap up. So your son, Jax, he's was born with an array of challenges, physical challenges. I hear he's doing really well now, like his liver's healthy and everything. Yeah, so that must make you proud as a mom. God. Um, but uh I mean, that's probably like one of the most adversity you ever experienced, right? Like, yeah, you know, you got this, this kid and you love him with every bit of your heart and he's born with challenges and you, you can't fix it, you know? So how does that, how, how's he doing and how does it affect you as a, as a mom? Well, you know, as a parent, we, it's so horrible to see your, your child struggle, you know, to see your son, anybody you love in pain is, is a very difficult thing to watch. But when it's your child and they're really little and they don't understand and you can't explain it to them, you know, it's, it's a lot, you know I mean? It, yeah. it, it can be totally overwhelming. I mean, in fact, when Jax was first born and in the hospital, you know, John is, uh, my husband is the son of a very famous rabbi who was part of the reform movement who brought 
um, a lot of modern thinking into Judaism, like same sex, the rights of women, you know, same sex marriages, like a lot of forward thinking things. And I raised my kids Jewish, although I'm not Jewish. My husband is, and we raise our kids Jewish. And when Jax was, was, was born and he was sick, it was really important for me to have something to lean onto that was faith driven. And so I really looked at it from a faith perspective that I had to believe that the universe had, had our back. I had to believe that no matter what the struggle was, that we would be okay. And I had to continually say that to myself. I had to have a lot of faith and I had to have a lot of hope. And I never let that run out. I didn't let the hope run out. And sometimes it doesn't end up a good story. I mean, I was in the NICU with a lot of babies that didn't go home, you guys. I mean, it definitely happens. And people always say that I'm the hero. Like, how did you do all that? I'm like, I came home with my child. Don't call me a hero. You know what I mean? Like the loss of a child, I just don't think is anything that, that, you know, someone should ever have to go through, but we do and we bear it and they, people overcome and they go on to do great things for it. So I tried to keep that in line. I tried to keep my faith in line. I tried to keep my hope in line when he was really little. And I had trust that we had the best doctors and they, they had, they were going to give him the best that they could. So then you learn toward, you learn toward like Ashley working through that every day in real time. And John, I hit a wall where I didn't have it left in me anymore. And my husband and I played a role. So Jax got stuck with needles all the time. I mean, like all the time. And we were in a teaching hospital and he was a hard stick. So like they kept, he was like a challenge of like, I'm going to get him. And I had a rule. I'm like three sticks and you're done. I don't care if you have to get the IV in. You're not going to do it anymore. But after all of this trauma, when Jax had, you know, in Judaism, we get circumcised. So Jax had to get circumcised. And I, as a mother... I couldn't bear to watch it because it was one more painful thing that he had to go through. And so I also knew my limits. You know, I didn't show up at the bris in the hospital. My husband did it because he, he had the wherewithal to do it. And it was really important to him. And I didn't show up that day because I couldn't, I couldn't do it. And then there's other times where John, it was hard for him and I would show up or I would take the call with the doctor. So I leaned on the community that I had at home. Our, our, our nanny, Junie, who we hired three months before Jax was born, was so important for us. And she came to us I, from the heavens. I mean, I really believe that. Here, this woman needed to, a job at the moment. I, I had a baby coming in three months, and I was like, I'm going to hire you right now. And thank God we did, because she was there with me. We knew her. She was like family, and she helped me nurse Jax back to health. And, you know, the doctors that we had and, you know, John's family and our best friends and the people that were there, my mom, that helped us through it. I leaned on community. I let them come in and help me. And that was really an important factor to my success and my healing through it all. Okay, so then we bring Jax home and he gets better and, he, and he's getting better. And now I'm watching this boy grow. He's 16 today. He's driving my new car. <laughs> he hasn't crashed it yet? At, no, no. He's a very good driver. I taught Jax how to drive. John and I, my father thought driving was a skill that everybody should learn and you shouldn't have to wait till you're like 16 or 17. So he taught me how to drive young and I taught Jax how to drive young. So he's good and he's conservative. I love him. He's a great driver. He's very, very cautious and conservative. But watching the challenges and watching him grow, I had to take stake and 
um, understand and listen to Jack's because there was times where he felt like the world didn't like him. He felt like the world really had it out for him, that God hated him. Why did he have all these issues when everybody else was fine? And Ella, he would compare himself to his sister who has like not even a food allergy. You right. know, why doesn't Ella have anything wrong? That was a hard thing for me to answer. And I don't know if I've ever even answered it right. But what I do say to Jax is we know your challenges. They hit us all on the front end. I don't know Ella's challenges yet. It's a long life we live. Right. We know your challenges and you've overcome so much at such a young age that you're already ahead of the game. You already understand suffering. You understand pain. You understand looking different or being different or being outcast. Like right now, very difficult with Jax's hearing loss with Zoom. Mandy Harvey and I are, I mean, I'm in touch with the leadership team at Zoom because there's no closed caption on Zoom. And it's the platform that we're all using for education. And, you know, it's only the Disability Act, you know, it's just like we can look around our, our shoulder just enacted and now we're leaving out deaf folks again. And mm -hmm. so these are things that Jax now can help lobby and fight for. He can help be a part of the challenge. He can be his own voice and voice for others that come after him. So I, when I present it to him that way, you know, his chest can pump up a little bit and he can feel proud of what he's overcome. And, and I do check in with him mentally. You know, I have him in touch with a therapist and I let his emotions get heard. I don't let Jax keep things bottled up. I give him his time, but then I make sure we talk about it because I want him to learn that skill early on, that it's okay to cry, that it's okay. It is masculine to cry and it is important. Our emotions are there and our tears are there for a reason. They're cleansing and we need to feel the pain, feel it, wallow in it, and then move on from it. Well, Heather, thank you so much for this amazing conversation about entrepreneurship, motherhood, dealing with pain and suffering. Uh, this has just been incredibly insightful. For our listeners, though, I, I feel like we neglected to tell them early on when we were talking about Beyond Fresh, where can they go to get Beyond Fresh? Yeah. Okay. I love it so much. Well, you know, just a little tidbit of living a no barriers life. You know, we all have it in us. What it, What's within us is stronger than what's in our way. I love the work that you do at your organization. I am always so honored and thrilled to even just be a little tiny pinky part of it and lean into it. It's such important work. So thank you guys. Beyond Fresh, you could go to beyondfresh.com and check it out all there. You can go to shophq.com. You can look for when I'm on television there for like a one day only. I give a really amazing value on everything so people could get it home and lock it into subscription. Um, same with uh, beyondfresh.com. On social media, you can follow me at I am Heather T on Instagram, or you can go to heatherthompson.com uh, to find out anything that I'm up to and all the latest and greatest right there. Well, thank you so much, Heather, for your time. Thank you to our listeners for joining us in this uh, incredible conversation. If you enjoyed it, please share it with one other person. We'd love to continue to grow our listenership. As always, you can find show notes at nobarriespodcast.com. And if you're interested in joining any of our programs, we're doing some great at-home programming and in-person programming coming later this year. Check us out at nobarriersusa.org. Thank you so much, everyone, for the conversation. Thanks, Heather. No barriers to everyone. The production team behind this podcast includes senior producer Pauline Schaefer, sound design, editing, and mixing by Tyler Cotman, 
and marketing support by Heather Zocali, Stevie DiNardo, and Erica Hoey. Special thanks to the Dan Ryan Band for our intro song, Guidance. And thanks to all of you for listening. We know that you've got a lot of choices about how you can spend your time, and we appreciate you spending it here with us. If you enjoy this podcast, we encourage you to subscribe to it, share it, and give us a review. Show notes can be found at nobarrierspodcast.com. Oh, my.